Last time on the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. We stand Minya on this podcast. I, I've it's Stockholm Syndrome at this point. I love it now. Please from now on just refer to Minya as High Priest Minya. My co-host Alex is terrible. You know, he's not doing anything. Gamera just flies to the planet, kills him, and then flies back. The villain, when he's clicking through on his version of the Z-Riser, goes, uh, weird space monster, uh, space villain, giant lizard. Yeah, I think I think that one was my favorite just because Alex talks about butt rockets so much. Let's get down to Disney Plus. Welcome back. It's the Kaiju Apostle <laughs> Podcast. My name is David. And joining me is Chris Wormuskirch. How are you, Chris? Oh, I'm definitely not bringing that same energy, but... <laughs> no, you are not. <laughs> I don't know if I could, but hey. It's not going to last, trust me. <laughs> and I'm done. Wait, no. with the film we have today, are you sure? Yeah, we, we need as much energy as we can get. No, before we uh, talk about Space Amoeba, uh, we really just want to take a minute and talk about the cool, the new cool kid in town. And his name is Ultraman Zet. <laughs> he asked that we chant his name this episode. So Yes, but I refuse to do so. <laughs> I'm not getting paid to do it, so I'm not going to. And I'm not transforming stories tall either. So No. No, so I feel like the majority of the people who listen to this show probably have watched at least a couple episodes of Ultraman Z. So obviously it's not really a super tight lipped show. I don't feel like we have to guard ourselves, but if we do, we are going to discuss the most recent episode. Um, if you're not interested in this, I will put it in the time codes where you can skip ahead to get to space Amoeba because I know that's what you're that's dying what you to listen for. to. <laughs> well, to be fair though, by the time that we discuss, by the time that this is released, We'll be an episode behind. Very true. So, Very true. Um, if you haven't seen the introduction to all the robot friends episode, then you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, I mean, how much how much have you actually watched of Ultraman outside of Ultraman Z? Any at all? Uh, Shout Factory has Leo, I think. Okay. I can't remember. It's like he's got this big crowny giant. I don't know. It's like seventh. It's like the seventh series, but it's the first one that they got. Okay, gotcha. So I've only. Yeah, let's see. Ultraman. Le oh, yep. There we go. And that would be yeah. in 1974. So I saw the first couple episodes of that one and it's kind of fun, but it's slow. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll be honest. The things that I like about Henry, I'm going to say it, kaiju films. Um, the things I like about kaiju films, namely the characters and the, the human elements, um, you do get with the Ultra series. Just obviously, I don't feel like it's as prominent because it's more of a creature feature of the week kind of thing, right? Yeah. You know, uh, which is fine. But with the older films, when I guess the older shows, excuse me, when the storylines aren't as strong, it's definitely a slog, right? But even mm -hmm. with Ultraman Z, I can forgive some of that because it's just so much fun to watch. You know, so yeah. it's kind of that trade-off for me where I'm like, if you're not going to give me anything compelling, that's fine. Just make it worth my while. And by and large, I haven't watched a single episode and been like, 
man, I was bored. Like they're, right. they're fun. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing is um, like with common writer having a th- horror theme at, at least for the originals, um, mm-hmm. Kuga has it a little, but then like some of the others, I think get kind of that high energy animal themes, but like Ultraman, Ultraman Leo at least doesn't have those same themes. It does. It just kind of feels like old, slow superhero fare. And I know someone's going to at me and, you know, I welcome it. But um, I Ultraman, for some reason, the ones I've watched haven't gripped me. But then Z kind of Z comes out of nowhere and it's high energy, super fun. Everybody in the cast is so amazing. There's no like dry character in the cast. Not at all. Um, and it's like, I know I'm missing a ton because apparently like we've seen every monster before or at least most of them. Yeah. I don't think we've seen the, the first one, the, the alien shark. I think he was okay. new, but for the rest of them, I don't feel like I'm missing out on a ton, but it does kind of crack me up when, um, like no context in this new one, when he gets the three new ultra medals and it's like, um, Ultraman Jack. Ultraman father of Jack. I'm like, I'm missing some key context here if this yeah. dude doesn't have a name. But um, it's such a blast, though. Well, and I'm looking here, uh, Alien Barossa is a new alien as well. So, okay. obviously, we have seen a few that have been in previous shows and even, you know, movies, I guess, too. Sure. Um, but by and large, I mean, they're, they are doing some new stuff as well. So, and that's kind of my thing is, you know, with this whole like juggler guy, I think what do you call it? Spiky alien or whatever yeah. the weird name was. You I know, so like, it. God, yeah. So obviously watching previous shows would have made more sense to me in the sense of like, I would have seen that character on episode one and been like, wait a minute. But I didn't yeah. catch that. Right. I remember seeing an offhand comment and wondering if it would incorporate. And then it did. But for me, I'm not missing out on anything there, you no. know, and so that's kind of been my thing is I feel like it's been a good introduction, especially being so widely accessible too. Um, I mean, everybody yeah. has access to YouTube pretty much now. Obviously, they're taking episodes down, you know, as the weeks progress, but yeah. there's no paywall. There's no, I mean, you know, I, I put it on my TV and I'll have to skip a car gurus ad here and there and that's about it <laughs> yeah there's the youtube ads and then there's like more ultra toys and video games ads yeah which in america the tv show itself is the ad but i guess in japan they've got the tv show and then here's your figure arts here's your vinyl toys and yeah yeah i will say so i think i don't remember if i said it on this show or it was another one but you know, watching the commercials, Jasper's never said anything. He's never like, oh, I want that figure, right? But mm-hmm. today it hit me where I was watching the the newest episode and I was talking about the uh, the apparel. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. Jasper definitely needs that long sleeve. And I'm like, ah, dang it. <laughs> like, I fell yeah. for it. <laughs> oh, I know. And I love it because it's just, it's they don't caption the commercials. They don't translate anything on it. So I'm watching this commercial no. and I just keep it's images and sounds and lights. And I'm like, I, I want it. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> like there's yeah. one that I didn't know was for like a mobile game for the longest time. Oh, the but, one based um, off the anime. Yeah. 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 Uh, cracks me up. And then they're showing me this movie with all the other ultras. Mm-hmm. And I'm like trying to I'm like, do I recognize any of those from the medals? Yeah. 
Or, I'm in the same boat there. Or when Haruki shows you the one, but then all he says is like, oh, this is Jack. He's got super strength. Moving on. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I, I will say if you do have the time and watch the original, because I've given you access to my movie spirit account, so you could always watch the original if you yeah. wanted. Um, I definitely do recommend the anime, though. I would love to talk about that at some point because I really like the reimagining that they do with because it kind of like it's it's set in the same universe as the first show, but it doesn't really play out with the other ones, which is interesting. Um, okay. So anyway, overall, definitely impressed with Ultraman Z. I'm having a lot of fun with that. I'm excited to see how that progresses. But man, I just uh, the thought of going back and watching all of the shows is incredibly daunting. Like I probably got about five episodes into Ultra Seven, and I'm just I'm, bleh. but I started yeah. Neo Ultra Q today, and I'm like I could binge this. It's it's weird. Like Ultra Q, I was able to watch episode after episode after episode. Ultraman is kind of more of a slow burn for me. Yeah, and I think I think there's there's something I really want to like support with Ultraman in terms of like you can buy all of them on box. You can buy a ton of them on box set. You can buy some of them at Walmart. Yeah. And you can watch at least Jeed and Z on YouTube. And with Sentai, you've got you're limited to about a dozen. Maybe that's generous. Two common writers. And then I mean it sounds like with some Godzilla movies, even where like some are very inaccessible or at least have been for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm all for like supporting whatever Toku we can get. Yeah legally brought over but the other hard part just for me is when i'm like binging a show in english i don't have to like watch watch mm-hmm. but then when you're binging something like this you have to watch because if you miss something it's just or if you think you missed something like today has today or this episode of z has an interesting cut at the commercial and it's like wait i thought i was watching did i miss something <laughs> and it's almost kind of stressful sometimes so yeah um, not that i watch netflix too much during work wink wink but like i can't watch any of the japanese toku during work because i'm working like i can't yeah take half an hour and just watch so that always kind of bumps me out yeah yeah and that's exactly it right so i'll come home from work i'll put my son to bed and i'll sit down and when i was watching community which i did just finish and you know we can talk about that for a minute too <laughs> um I, as you can tell, we're, we're very excited to talk about space amoeba. Um, you know, I sit, sit down and I put something on TV. So with Mallory sitting there, you know, I just want to have something playing and we'll talk, right? I can't do that with ultra seven. I can't do that with these, you know, tokusatsu, you know, movies and shows and all that. So, but community, I mean, yeah, there's visual gags, but like by and large, I don't need to pay attention to every single second, right? I'm not reading the show. So I, I get that. I do get that entirely. Um, yeah, so Community, though. Finally yeah. finished it. After years of putting it off. And find out that season six isn't as bad as it seems. No! Like, I, I actually think it was better than season five. Yeah. It takes a minute to hit its stride, I think. Like, yeah. by the time I'm accepting of every character, I'm supposed to go through this emotional finale with them. I'm kind of like, eh. But I was left wanting more of that. Even that new cast, that kind of half and half cast, mm-hmm. I still wanted more with them. So I know. Yeah, it was uh it was kind of heartbreaking for me just to be like, okay, like 
yeah, you, you spend time with like Frankie. Like she was actually a solid character. Mm-hmm. And it's Elroy, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. an enigma. Um, <laughs> but I do yeah. like the way that it really did actually give the characters a chance to not get fleshed out because that's what we've had for the whole show. But like, we really got to see the characters at their worst, but mm-hmm. in not like in a depraved way. It was just, I don't know, like with Abed, I remember the episode with the, uh, the butt, the, the RV. And like, mm-hmm. that's when he really got hit with this, like this coping mechanism is not working for me and it's hurting people. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was a very, I wasn't expecting that in that episode. Yeah. It takes his Christmas adventure episode from, I think season one mm-hmm. and where it's cute and it's fun and it turns it on its head and says, Hey, maybe it's actually like not quite as helpful as he thinks it is. Yeah. People are legitimately getting hurt. Yeah. By a yeah. huge giant hand that was going to get purchased by a guy who buys giant things because his kid flew away on a kite. <laughs> yeah, it, it it gets a little sillier, that's for sure. But what was um, the line? It's like I'm going to go to the garage and leave you and leave you. Yeah. Oh gosh, I just the only thing that bums me out is like, and I know it's a meta thing. It's not any of the show's fault, but like surely just leaving. Yeah. Um, but if they finally get their movie from hashtag six seasons in a movie, I hope it's all of the originals minus Chase, um, minus Chevy Chase, but also mm-hmm. plus the season six editions. Like, yeah. I don't want the I don't want it to be like a Pokemon Gen Oneers thing. I would, I'd I'd love to see them all. The only character I don't want to come back, I know why he's on there, but I don't want him back is Coogler. Oh, yeah. That, those are never funny. Those... No, no. And like, I get like, he's he was a writer and producer for Arrested Development. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it, just cooler. Yeah, it, his stuff was like skeezy and but not in a completely... funny way. Yeah, yeah. Not in the nice, not in the community skis. Yeah, skeezy, but not in a nice way compared to nice skis. Okay. Okay, yeah, we probably should get on to the movie. Okay, so... (laughs) We are discussing Space Amoeba, released in Japan on August 1st, 1970. We just barely missed the 5th, 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 we just barely <laughs> missed the 50th anniversary. So uh, before I'm sorry. I know, I know. <laughs> so before we get into the staff, Chris, if you wouldn't mind reading the plot summary. Oh, I would love to. <clears throat> a satellite shot in the sky doesn't make it to its destination. A space amoeba, that's the name of the film, takes over this space workstation. A crash lands in the Pacific which is quite specific, and the alien embiggens a squid. Or rather, he's a cuttlefish, but who knows the difference, except zoology kids. So when our heroes end up on Stelgio Island, named after the Italian director, they find themselves running away from these monsters, controlled by this alien specter. A cuttlefish, two crabs, and a giant turtle. He also takes over Kenji Sahara. But thankfully, with the discovery of echolocation, They purge the world of the alien's aura. The moral of the story, only time will tell. Because, well, there wasn't a lot here. But don't worry, don't fret. 
the Kaiju Apostle read too deeply into this film. Do not fear. You can tell I like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> I do yeah. not like space amoeba and a cuttlefish. I do not like them in a crab. I do not <laughs> like them anywhere, Sam my ab. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm not the da, poet on this podcast. Da doy. <laughs> I shouldn't have to have mustard on my face for you to like me, David. <laughs> I actually hate mustard, so. <laughs> Ouch. All right. So directed by Ashira Honda. So this is where we start seeing some changes. Uh, the writer this time was, um, I believe it's E. Ogawa. So he, at this point, he hasn't done any kaiju films. Um, what we really would know him for down the road would be what's called the Bloodthirsty Trilogy. So it's a set of vampire films. You have a 1970s The Vampire Doll, 1971 The Lake of Dracula, and 1974 Evil of Dracula. Now, I am not familiar with any of these films at all. I'm just familiar with their existence. Um, <laughs> but I've actually heard some pretty good stuff about it. So that's what's interesting to me is that He's known for a fairly popular trilogy of movies, but then we get this film, but we'll get into that later. So producing uh, is Tomoyuki Tanaka and Fumio Tanaka. No relation. Um, music is Akira uh, Ifakube. Uh, he kind of just phoned this one in. Um, cinematography was by Taichi Kenkura. And then we have special effects by Satomasa Arikawa and Teruyoshi Nakano. So a little bit of trivia going in here. It's a little unfortunate that uh, Subarai wasn't able to be involved. Um, the record is, and I, all of this is from the uh, Honda biography. Um, the movie began shooting a few days before Subarai actually passed away. Mm -hmm. um, so as a result, you know, the cast wanted to give Subaraya a dedication in the film, like in the credits there in the beginning, uh, but Toho declined. Uh, that was not received very well um, and actually led to a lot of strained relationships between the creatives and the actors and Toho. Um, yeah. Which makes sense, right? And then, uh, hmm. so the original script for this film was actually birthed in 1966 it was a lot more expansive, so it was supposed to happen all over the world. Um, but then Toho revised everything to take place on a single island. Um, at one point, they were going to film the movie on Guam, but I believe it was budgetary purposes that prevented them from doing that. So then they go to another island, and then they're filming this in the winter, which is interesting. And you actually, if you watch the movie, you can tell that they're cold, uh, despite mm -hmm. being on a tropical setting. Um so, Chris, if you wouldn't mind doing the honors for the uh, the poll this episode. Oh, oh, I was, yeah. As I said, I'd always do a poll, and then I realized family friendly. Ah. So it's the year 2020. Yog, the space amoeba, amoeba, has come back to Earth and is beginning to embiggen <clears throat> giant monster messages. <clears throat> More animals into monsters. Which of the following monsters would frighten you the most? So it's sloth. Guinea pig, anglerfish, or McGruff the crime dog. And funny enough, 
guinea pig was probably the it was the least well received it was probably i don't know about that like we thought it was the cutest big animal like i don't know they're kind of creepy to me uh, that's actually the one i voted for um, <laughs> sloth was third which like if you've ever seen a prehistoric sloth they themselves would be pretty good for kaiju movies period that's actually um, what i had in mind well yeah i mean just it's, don't pause the podcast keep listening but also google it at the same time unless you're driving um the second scariest was mcgruff the crime dog and um i guess that that right you could take a bigger bite out of crime and the scariest one uh is the giant angler fish which received almost half the votes which yeah it's kind of surprising which i got into somewhat of an argument with Henry. He was trying to be very pedantic about that and like, well, they're all, they're small. I'm like, Henry, it's giant. It doesn't matter if they're small in real life. We're talking about giant. <laughs> like if, if we made it the same size as all the other giant monsters, it would be scary. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We're not just doing, it's not like take the original one times a hundred. We're saying take them all to be the same giant size. Yeah. Which oh, I love man. you, Henry. But that's why I was like, it's 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 a giant. Like I I would be mortified, you know. Like I I would be scared of a giant guinea pig. So a giant angler fish, absolutely. Yeah, it's a rodent. It's a giant rodent. Yeah, I do We're like what you Henry had to say about of... uh, uh McGruff, though. That's a, that's a very good point. <laughs> he would he would knock out crime quicker than any president ever could. Let me tell you, <laughs> the bark stops here. It does. All right, so for the Twitter discussion this week, um, because y'all love this movie so much, we were just floored and <laughs> flooded and just overwhelmed with replies. So I kind of had to, you know, pare this down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but the discussion was with Space Amoeba, we get a new lineup behind the scenes, including screenwriter Ogawa. Despite the lack of attention the film gets, do you find it is worth holding up to the rest of Honda's legacy? Or should it have... or Wow, really? <laughs> or should it have been left in the deep along with Yogg? So, which apparently, so Yogg was, okay, hold on one second. It's how Ron Burgundy pronounced jogging. So, <laughs> Chris. before I get too far, so Yogg apparently so the movie in America was released as Yogg Monster from Space. So Yogg is apparently a reference to uh, something in Lovecraft. I've never dealt with any of his material before. Um, but there's a couple different places it could be. Like Yogg Sothoth is a cosmic entity and outer god. Um, that is according to the HP Lovecraft wiki. So anyway. Um, we'll get so, to Lovecraft without all the virulent racism. Yeah, which I do want to. I don't remember the name of the show. Everyone's been talking about it, but that you know that one looks yeah. good. Lovecraft Country is that? What oh, it is? yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so Andrew Roebuck said it is so good. I love Space Amoeba. I love it. This tweet is not brought to you by someone who has not been infected by a space amoeba. Um, then Corey said, I think it's worth watching despite my lukewarm feelings on it. Also, like Akira Kubo has facial hair in this, and that alone is worth seeing. <laughs> and then we have Luke Giaconetti. He said, Space Amoeba is an offbeat film. If I 
recall correctly, I had to remember what IIRC meant. Uh, <laughs> it was released in the summer intended to be a fun popcorn picture. It's been years, but I do remember liking it because it is a change of pace. Also, lots of love for Gazora making it into the original Nintendo Godzilla game. Hashtag shoot. <laughs> I do know that this movie is actually, uh, we're going to have Matt from Monstrosities. He's got a YouTube channel. I try to pop in there as often as I can. Um, it's, it's, I wouldn't say a favorite of his, but he definitely likes it a lot. Um, if I remember right on his YouTube review of it, I think he says something about going to like Walgreens or CVS back in the day and seeing a VHS version of Yogg there. So that's, he, he has that nostalgia element to it, whereas I do not. Um, so yeah, let's kind of, let's just get into our thoughts on the movie itself. Um, and we've actually got some talking points on it. I'm kind of surprised at where I think we're going to be able to go here. Um, so Chris, Dish, mm. what was your thought on the giant fish? Oh, gosh. G- giant cuttlefish. Dang it. So now, okay, I just want to, I just want to say all the grief I get for puns, all that energy has now been restructured into his rhyming. So we're about to become like a pun and rhyme cast and yeah. there's no apologies there. And if I give you any grief, it's because I'm jealous. Like I am not too proud to admit that, you know, I don't remember what it was the other day, but I said something to Mallory. She's like, Oh, that's actually funny. I was like, you're kidding me. You don't say that. <laughs> yeah, when someone says that's funny instead of laughing. Oh, but the actually probably killed it. But yeah. yeah, whenever I throw out a pun, I'm always cuddle fishing for compliments. So Yeah. And that's why uh, I don't give them to you. Yeah, I know. Um but yeah, this one. It was well, you know, especially after last week, more of a return to the traditional fair that I've been kind of getting attuned to it doesn't have this doesn't have the little kid secondary it doesn't have the strict anti-bullying message this one i feel like i can safely say at the beginning of this conversation that i was kind of watching and i was like okay did this one have anything to say i don't know and i was a little shocked that it's a honda film because mm-hmm. um, there's there's some sh- there's some there's some themes again that seem to shift and i think we're going to get into those and if we don't, if we don't naturally, I'll force them in like I usually do with my opinions. But um, yeah, I just kind of felt like this one. It was starting to show a little bit to me of kind of the kind of the length that started to get to it. We've talked before how some of the films like they didn't feel like forced, but they might have felt a little manufactured. Mm-hmm. Like we've made those comments before, I think, right? Yeah. This one, I think, is kind of, this one, well, I know we've said it to at least, I've said it at least to you, I don't remember if it's on the show, but like, this one, this one is starting to get a little like, okay, so this is where the longevity sets in. They're not all going to have something to say explicitly, but especially after last one, which is growing on me, especially after our discussion on the episode, hashtag go listen to it, like, how much the last one had to say, um, this felt like a, what did he say, um, Luke saying, or who was it? Yeah, Luke said it kind of shifts a little. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So all of that rambling to say, like, it's not a favorite. It's not bad, but I'm content to have watched it this once and move along. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is definitely not a movie I rushed out to find uh, a copy to purchase after <laughs> watching it on archive.org. A uh, reminder that if you have not watched a movie we discuss on our website, we do have links to watch all of the movies uh, legally as well. Um, yeah, so this movie reaffirms, like, so I'll, I'll be honest, and we, we talked about this the other day, so I'll be honest in that we talk about a lot of these themes and ideas when we mention Honda, but we don't always include the director. And that's not, uh, not the director, sorry, we don't always include the writer. And mm -hmm. that's not necessarily fair because obviously with Honda, like, I don't know what every movie looks like, right? So with Honda, obviously he has very humanistic values from his time serving in the military and just his worldview. So he, it's clear through primary sources and secondary sources that he incorporated his ideas into the script. He worked with some of these writers, but I feel like this is a film that's a good reminder of like, just because he is the director doesn't mean he's always going to direct a good film. Doesn't mean he's always going to direct a, you know, he's not always going to have full creative control over the script either, mm -hmm. which he never has had that. But whenever we talk about themes and ideas, it's always Honda and I'm reminded that we need to talk about the writers as well. Um, and I'm not even saying this is a bad film because watching it twice, I was like, okay, like it's knowing what was happening at the time. It's a movie and there's things that happen. And sure. it's definitely when Jasper gets older, I'm sure we'll watch it. I'm sure we'll have fun. But it's kind of what we're talking about with Ultraman Z where you know, if the human element isn't super engaging, give me something to keep me hooked. And there just wasn't a lot of that. You know, mm -hmm. what's what's interesting is the beginning of the film, we get this teasing of all the monsters fighting. And like that alone is more exciting than the rest of the film, yeah. which was surprising. But, you know, I'm well, not going to. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say like, my one major contribution to this discussion, I think, serves as a good example, maybe. Um, and I don't see it in the notes, so I'm going to bring it in now. Like the we've talked before about Honda's anti-war, um, his pacifism, right? Mm -hmm. And how in a lot of previous films, it's like the military is inept to fight the kaiju and to fight the monsters. Yeah. And now the th the thing that made me wonder if it was Honda, and you know, the, why you're bringing in this writer stuff is how. You know, it is recovered World War II ammunition that does help kind of win, at least against the first two. Yeah. Um, and that seems like, you know, it, it, in our traditional way of reading too far into things, I'm reading too far into it to say, like, retired ammunition is the same as the military. But, mm -hmm. like, it, it, we are now seeing human weapons turn the tide against the monsters. Yeah. Without any, like, they don't have to, like, oxygen destroy it they don't need to like do anything except blow stuff up yeah. and i get it there's like the the point was they couldn't withstand extreme temperatures but um you would think fire is an extreme enough temperature without the world war ii ammunition so that's that's where my big disconnect is and that's why i think it's good to bring you in the writers because no movie is really just one director's vision and when it is you get attack of the clones yeah, and directors are capable of doing different films, right? So I'm thinking of Matt Reeves because, you know, as of today, mm -hmm. the Batman teaser came out yesterday. So I'm thinking of his history. So a lot of people think of uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. 
um, War of the Planet of the Apes, right? So I don't know if he did Rise. Um, I don't think he did. Um, so anyway, but you know, he also did Cloverfield, right? He did mm. 10 Cloverfield Lane. But then he did Let Me In, which was a remake of Let the Right One In, which was a, both both versions are good, in my opinion. So I, I say that because he's got, you know, he's kind of expansive there and it's not the same movie each time. You know, he's got a little bit more of a serious tone, but then you go back to 1996 and he was the director of a rom-com called The Paul Bear with David Schwimmer and Gwyneth Paltrow, right? Wow. So like, do okay. you see that as being the same person who did 10 Cloverfield Lane? True. No, but good point. yeah, I mean, every, every director has had stuff like that, right? So I'm going to go in here. I'm going to go to Peter Jackson. I love Peter Jackson for Lord of the Rings, right? You know, and unfortunately, they pull that up, and that's all that shows up. But then you go back to 1992, and he does a horror film, what's well, a horror comedy, Brain Dead, completely different than Lord of the Rings. So again, Even it's just it's one of those. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where you know, yes, it is kind of surprising that this is a Honda film because I think you know we, in a way, we kind of equate Honda with quality, but really, I mean. You know, no one bats a thousand, right? Someone's going to swing and miss at some point. And just with everything going on at this time, it's not a surprise that this movie just didn't really quite land for me. Um, and I know there's there, there are some people who love this film. You know, we have discussed, you know, your least favorite kaiju film will be someone's favorite. You know, we're not trying to discriminate there. Um, I do think it's interesting that you know, the script feels like the greatest hits of a lot of different films. So we get the rework of the King Kong theme, right? Um, we get the amnesia element from Rodan. We get a volcano destroying the monster as we did in Rodan and Frankenstein Conquers the World and War of the Gargantuas, right? So I guess that's really the best way. If you want to defeat a monster, fight nature with nature. Um mm. I will say, though, my favorite part of this film, so when Akira Kubo's character, Kudo, yeah, yeah. Um, when he <laughs> blinds Ganymedes with the rifle, I was like, of course it would be the photographer that has good aim, right? That's Take fair. the shot. I yeah. was going to get their shot, yeah. Yeah, so, and then I just thought it was interesting. It was just like, you know, nothing says wedding bells like your lover in a case <laughs> of amnesia. Yeah, gosh. 51st States, the Kaiju edition. Yeah. He, he um, recovers in all sounds like, what did I get myself into? Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's, I'm trying to think though, like, you know, you talk about it as like a familiar, kind of a familiar re reworking, but like, sometimes you see that when someone takes over a franchise, they kind of take some of your favorite elements and hopefully mm -hmm. rework it. I guess the question is, did it rework it well enough that, like you listed three other movies that we've already covered with volcanoes mm -hmm. and I'm willing to put um, money to the thought that we're going to see a few more die to volcanoes later. Um, like, I guess the question is like, when you watch it, do you feel like you're getting these repeated motifs? That's, that's a generous word. Yeah. But like, did he, did, does this movie carry it well enough where you thought, oh, God, another volcano, just like X, Y, Z, ABC, or does it, you know, and I, that's my question. Are you are you too versed in this to not think of that? Or does this movie let you forget about those other ones? Mm -hmm. 
personally. Yeah, as Star Wars fans, I think this kind of cuts <laughs> deep a little bit. It, I was um, trying not to totally. <laughs> I know, I know. But, and that is something to keep in mind too, is, you know, we are going through and discussing these films bi-weekly, whereas at this time, these movies maybe one or two a year, right? So there's a lot of things that we may not like or feel a certain way, whereas when these movies were being made, I mean, you weren't able to sit down and binge the entire series, even up to that point in a weekend, right? Because they weren't released that way. So I don't know. Are we consuming our media correctly? I don't know. You know, so that's where I think it's important to remember that everything we're doing here on the show is just the beginning of a conversation. It's not that end all be all. Um, So we talked about how this was kind of the end of an era, so to speak. So we had that with Destroy All Monsters because they thought it was going to be the last Godzilla film. And then they ended up doing All Monsters Attack, thankfully. And But with this film, it is the end of an era in a different way. So I'm going to read this uh, from the Honda biography because I think this is really important. So... Honda was 59 when Space Amoeba was released on August 1st, 1970. Nearly 40 years had passed since he had entered Toho. It was becoming difficult to stay. The film industry's steady decline had been slowed by occasional blockbusters or the success of long-running film series, but between 1960 and 1970, national attendance had dropped from 1 billion to about 250 million annually, and it was still falling. Toho was once a powerhouse of movie stars, famous directors, and a mix of commercial films and prestige pictures, but now it would drastically remake itself in order to survive. The studio was split into several smaller subsidiary companies, including Toho Iga, being Toho Film, its main production arm, and Toho Aizo, being Toho Visual, which would make special effects films under Tomoyuki Tanaka's supervision. The number of actors under contract, which had exceeded 200 as recently as 1965, would fall to 11 by 1972. Over roughly the same period, the number of Toho-produced films fell about 50%. Longtime contracts were ended, and crew members would be hired on a per-project basis. The special effects department founded by Tsuburaya was disbanded. These movies were designed to weaken the labor unions, which were blamed for rising costs. Other studios were retrenching as well. Dae declared bankruptcy and closed, Dae being Gamera. And Nikatsu, which had dominated the youth market with popular gangster films, began, began exclusively making softcore Roman porno features. So amid this sea of change, in late 1970, Honda's employment contract came up for annual renewal. When it was time to negotiate the terms for the following year, he took stock of his future. So I could go on about that, but that kind of you know, as we're going to watch these films, we don't see the same faces anymore. You know, we might have a familiar face here and there, but it's pretty much a new cast of uh, actors. You know, we do get some of the same creative people back, like we do get some of the same writers and uh, directors and composers and such, but it's not nearly, it's not the same team as we've seen up to this point. Mm. So to me, it's not really a surprise that this film is so different. So this is where I just want to take a minute and kind of look back and be like, you know, now that we've hit this point of things seeming to implode, like that golden kaiju bubble has just burst, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if you could necessarily see it coming being in the year 2020, but to you, do you feel like the quality was declining or like, you know, kind of, I just wanted to hear your thoughts. I'm not going to necessarily share. Share your own. 
just put mm. me in the blast. Yeah. Um, do I see them as declining? Um, and maybe that's not the right word to use, but do you see a variance in quality as things progressed? Well, let me let me dodge that question real quick and come back to it. Go for but it. I think I Matrix think style. the zigging zagging um, kind of like the quality the quality does change, but I think like the themes and the tonal shifts that we've seen do kind of suggest that there were some stuff going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you hadn't told me anything was happening, like if I didn't do any behind the scenes and I had only watched, I think I could probably pick up on something happening behind the scenes. Um, but I don't know if I'd say we're about to enter the dark ages of kaiju film based on the quality so far. Yeah. And we I, definitely I aren't. Yeah. I would say we're entering the, um, we've, we've left the on ramp and now we're on the highway. Mm-hmm. So we're cruising where we've, we've hit a cruising speed and maybe we're going to be at the same pace for a while. Yeah. But, and that's the thing is, you know, obviously film taste is very subjective, but, you know, out of the next set of films, you know, there's some of the upcoming ones are some of my favorites, but, you know, the film we're going to discuss next next episode, it's so jarringly different feel overall. Um, Wait, yes. well, which one is that one for, uh, us, for our viewers without the schedule? Yeah, Godzilla vs. Hedorah. Okay. Or sorry, Godzilla vs. Hedorah. Excuse me. <laughs> that means that means so much more to our listeners than me. But hey, <laughs> I want to make sure I'm not sounding like a complete idiot. Um, That's my job. So I'll say I'm all wrong. So theme wise, like I said, we, we definitely have some stuff to talk about. Just not a whole lot. Um, want to give a shout out to Taylor of Giant Monster Messages and Jake. Uh, he writes over at Something Ghoulish. Um, for kind of helping us go down this train of thought, um, had some private conversations and Jake's actually got a really good article about this film. Um, and I'm going to link that in the comments or I guess the description as well. So definitely check that out. So what I noticed with this film, and I wouldn't call it a plot hole, but let's say it is a plot hole just gives us some space to play in. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so at the beginning of the film, you know, we see the, the Helios 7 crashes into the water, ends up landing at this Selgio Island, right? And our main character goes, hey, I saw it. No, you didn't. You're crazy. And he runs into his biologist friend or his biologist friend comes over and he says, Kudo, I once told you about an island of monsters, remember? And Kudo goes, monsters? I remember. Doctor, you, you mean Selgio Island is the one? And he says, yes. So here's my issue is this just happened a day ago. And by way of this movie's plot, the space amoeba is the reason these monsters became big. So how could this be the island he had heard about if this had just recently happened, right? (laughs) So... I think there's something to discuss there. This idea that, you know, we can find myths and legends and views about gods and something can happen in our life and we can equate the two because that's kind of what we see with the natives, right? Is they give him the name Gazora. They say, hey, he can read, you know, your mind with his telepathy. 
you know, and they've, they've already got this built out religion centered around him, but he's a new creation, so to speak. So it, it's interesting to me that we have that dynamic, which this is where my lack of familiarity with the ancient Near East uh, fails me. But is that something that is, was common back then? Because I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily a contemporary parallel, but did you find the same confusion there or? Yeah. Um, I know, I know when I speak can I say the other day, I could mean anything from yesterday to three years ago. Um, hmm. So maybe it could be the same thing there, but um, yeah, it, it is interesting that he said, I was telling you about this place with monsters and what they, he could be referring to their myths and mm-hmm. maybe the natives believe that these gods exist, but um, it it didn't strike me right away as too weird. But I also try not to think about it too much while I'm watching, because I do want to like just watch it, take it for yeah. what it is, and don't want to get into it too soon, and then maybe insert too much in the movie too quickly. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think. I do think we see a lot of times where it's not, I mean, to pull Star Wars into it, like the Ewoks have this whole golden deity and then there's 3PO who shows up and fills all that. I'm I'm thinking we also see that like, and I'm not, you said ancient Near Eastern, but the first thing I thought about was Acts in Acts mm-hmm. 17 when Paul goes to Mars Hill and says, hey, this God that you're like, that, you know, there's the inscription to the unknown God. They're trying to cover their bases but they also know this God's been doing something around them. And Paul's like, I can tell you who it is. And maybe there's a similarity there when um, this giant monster appears and like, Hey, that's the unknown God. I see him now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do too. I do think like, if you want to take Job for an example, there is like in Israel and I know in some other ancient Near Eastern cultures, there are myths about like the sea serpent and the chaotic sea. And the sea serpent is like the figurehead who leads the chaos. It's like the most chaotic creature. And then when God's given Job his dressing down, he says, hey, have you considered um, the Leviathan? And, you know, in the context of Job, it seems like there's this real animal that this myth is not being connected to. Mm-hmm. Now, we can answer in Genesis this debate, or we can just say, there's probably something that corresponds, but we see a lot of times in the ancient Near East that there are myths that do get associated with animals. Mm-hmm. And even like um, in the Greek period, Alexander the Great hears all these legends about dragons. And now he writes in the year 300 or something, hey, I saw a dragon. It's like, what did you really? Or are you just saying I, found, I have these myths that I grew up with and I see this big ass animal, this big ass lizard. So all the time, I think we see, we have our worldview. And then when something seems to fit that worldview, we want to like, we want it to be legitimized. Yeah. And I think, I think that could be what we're seeing here. They have this religious worldview and now some, suddenly something otherworldly happens and there's an animal that we can make that link to. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even like we see this contemporarily, if that's a word in Scotland where there's the legends of, of Nessie. There's the legends of what happens at Loch Ness. And so when, when we see like boats or people swimming and it's Nessie, right? We do mm-hmm. inscribe those myths onto 
things that aren't actually related all the time. So yeah, we do have a contemporary, I think. Yeah. I will say there is a film down the road that kind of touches on that a little bit, which is interesting that I think about it. But if we go back to the original, though, I think the, the contrast here is interesting because with the inhabitants of Odo Island, it was established that Godzilla had existed by that point, right? The, the radiation, the, the bombings did not create Godzilla. It merely changed him. But up to that point, yes. they had been dealing with him, right? But here, it became very clear, or in Space Amoeba, it became very clear that the amoeba is what was, we'll call him Yogg, that Yogg was actually embiggening these animals. So that's where I think the logic kind of breaks down for me is because the 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 dynamic between the biologist and Akira Kubo's character is one of they had not seen each other in a very long time. Right. So maybe you're right. Maybe this island already had those myths established that there are giant monsters. Obviously, we've watched movies with giant monsters. So that part isn't hard to believe. It's just the element of like, you know, they they had been worshiping or at least fearing a monster or, you know, a deity. And then Gazora or what they've dubbed as Gazora is created. And they're like, oh, well, we've believed all these things. And now this has happened. So we're going to connect the two. And actually, as I say that now, I'm just thinking about evangelicals in the book of Revelation and Trump. But I don't want to get into that. Because yeah. um, <laughs> well, I don't have enough alcohol in me for that yet. Gosh, yeah. And I, you know what, though? I think I'm kind of I'm kind of forming this thought. So bear with me. But like I saw a scene from Godzilla 98. My grandpa was watching it on TV mm-hmm. and, you know, Zilla is attacking and the news reporter kind of offhandedly says, oh, and they're calling it Godzilla. Like it's a, they just dubbed him that they just called him that right then. Like mm-hmm. there was no basis for that name. They just came up with it on the spot. Kind of like every Marvel movie was like, oh, what about this Spider-Man? Yeah. And it's like, oh, we know that name. Um I maybe it kind of speaks to this weird continuity we're kind of working with still where we have had destroy all monsters where we've had our big crossover movie where they're all in the same, Mm -hmm. but we're not always, I, at least for me going into the next one, I'm never sure. Does this sit in a world where the other ones have happened? Do they know what happened at Tokyo? Do they know what happened in Paris and the UN? And I'm sure as we go on, it'll become more explicit that everything that we've watched has happened. Yeah. But we are kind of at a weird. Yeah. And that's where the the tendency to become anachronistic comes into play. Because right. with like the late 80s to 90s films, it is clear that they're within the same continuity. Right. They made sure to do that. Whereas these. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are and they're not. And it's it's very easy for us to try to put standards and keep them together in ways that they they didn't intend to do. But that's where I'm just kind of like, it is easy to want to give them a pass on certain things like with this whole logic about the gods and myths and be like, oh, well, maybe they just weren't intending to talk about that. But then I'm also just like, okay, but we're talking about the director who did Gojira. We're talking about the director who did Matongo and Atragon. Like, I'm going to hold him up to a certain standard. I'm not just going to give him a free pass. You know, obviously, again, it's the writing here, too. But that's where I'm like, if you can do a movie well and you have, I'm not just going to give you a free pass here because you could have easily workshopped the script and figured out a way to not do that. Right. right. Um, 
Something that's interesting though, and I was thinking about this is, you know, maybe, maybe what the movie was trying to do was talk about how when science has progressed in society, we tend to reimagine religion, right? We look at, oh, yeah. well, back in the day, people believed in exorcisms, but that's not really what it is because of science. And I don't, I don't think that has to be the case, right? I mm-hmm. think, you know, as we've seen with biblical archaeology, um, it does leave a lot of holes, but it tends to prove rather than disprove. Um, but something we've talked about privately, and I'm not going to spend long on this at all, is the idea that there are trauma studies of biblical texts. So for people who aren't aware, and we've kind of talked about this on the show with the Atragon movie, is the idea of PTSD, right? So it's a pretty recent diagnosis. Um, and I wanted to share, this definition was actually really interesting. So um, this is coming from the book, A Biblical Theology of Exile by Daniel L. Smith Christopher. Mm. So in a recent review of the history of PTSD, John Wilson points out, viewed from a historical perspective, the emergence of widespread interest in PTSD by the medical and behavioral sciences, as well as in legal arenas of litigation, is quite understandable and perhaps expectable when examined by a retrospective look at some of the major events of the 20th century. Two world wars, the atomic bombings of Hiroshima, um, scores of nationalistic and colonial wars, widespread civil violence, mass genocide, when it is considered that hundreds of millions of human lives have been adversely affected by such traumatic events, it only stands to reason that sooner or later scientific inquiry would accumulate enough momentum to begin begin examining the multifaceted aspects of what traumatization means and the potential long-term impact to human lives of such events. So I bring that up because, again, my lack of familiarity with the ancient Near East and some of these Old Testament texts, um, the author gets into reading Ezekiel and looking at prophetic moments. Um, what's interesting here is, uh, so for the study of, this is uh, the author here, for the study of Ezekiel, the reading of refugee studies and the literature of PTSD forces us to ask serious questions about the adequacy of any textual assessment of Ezekiel apart from a full appreciation of the historical and social implications of the siege of Jerusalem, the deportations, and the executions by the Babylonian armies and the exile. Furthermore, PTSD literature emphasizes that there is secondary trauma for which symptoms are widely documented. One need not be present at the death of a loved one. Merely the news can be sufficiently traumatic. Furthermore, proximity to the time of the disasters or traumas is clearly an interesting aspect of PTSD studies. PTSD studies, some of which document symptoms 20 to 40 years after the events themselves. So I bring all that up because when you get into Ezekiel, there's some really weird text. And I can't remember, is it, is it Ezekiel or Jeremiah, the one that is like lies prostrate for 40 days? Yeah, Ezekiel. Yeah, so the, the author goes through and details a lot of these different, what would arguably be strange visions and actions by Ezekiel. And he's not saying that these things didn't happen, right? That, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's not like the people who are like, hey, so we know what science says about mental health, therefore demons don't exist. Rather, mm-hmm. it's, hey, we know what trauma can do because we're talking about the siege of Jerusalem. People were killed and, you know, just it's a very traumatic moment. I think Ezekiel lost his wife too, right? Mm-hmm. 
and was told not to not to mourn. Yeah, exactly. So we're seeing that these things, not that these visions and these actions didn't happen or that God didn't speak to him in these moments, but rather God had him, or rather God spoke to him in the midst of this trauma, right? So I, I just, I say all that because it, it does almost seem like the film has this bit of, well, you know, they really weren't worshiping a God. They just thought they were. And really the God that they thought they worshiped was just a creation of science, right? Of this alien. But I don't think the movie necessarily is trying to say that, but I mm -hmm. could see someone going down that route. And that's why I just wanted to bring that up is like, it just, it doesn't have a very clear message of what it's trying to do. So yeah, it's kind of fun to think creatively. I just, it's almost like it got to second base and just kind of stood there. Ugh. Just like me on my dates. Edit that out. Um, <laughs> I don't, to be fair, I actually don't even know what second base means. So. I don't either. Um, <laughs> Let's if find it's holding out. Hand, if it's holding hands. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got there. Okay. Um, well, okay. And maybe just one last thought on this whole science religion thing. Um, just thinking of like thunderstorms in the ancient world. Um Psalm 27 is a song about how God controls the thunderstorms, rides on the clouds, you know, the, the storm clouds are his chariots. And some scholars believe that that was an old Baal text that mm -hmm. Jewish believers repurposed to be about Yahweh instead. And so I think what we see is like, is modern Christians, and you can use that as capital or lowercase m um, in the modern, we, mm -hmm. do know how, we do know how thunderstorms work. But that doesn't necessarily disprove the God behind them, like who creates natural processes. Yeah. So we don't want to sound like we're saying, well, these dumbass old n natives who have these pre-scientific beliefs. But we are trying to say is like they can coexist. It would just be nice if the film had found which way it wanted to land. Yeah. What does the film want to say? We don't know. Yeah, and that and that's exactly it. Is there's a lot. Of, it's kind of what Alex has said about. You know, Alex from Monsters vs. Men has said about all monsters attack. He's, he tries to say, you know, it starts all these different points, but never actually executes it. Whereas I would say, even if you feel that way, all monsters attack actually sticks the landing compared to this film in regards to ideas that it brings up and never really does anything with them. Yeah, this one wants to get the movie started, but it doesn't really like care much beyond getting it started. It doesn't seem like that. That's for yeah, sure. Well, yeah. Okay. That is a better way. To, yeah. yeah. Fair. Um, but finally, the one that actually stood out to me the first time I watched the film. So kind of my approach, and I don't know if I've said this before because I don't remember anything. Do you ever deal with false memories, by the way? Do you ever struggle with like you have a memory and you don't know if it's a real memory or not? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hate my life. Um, <laughs> so... Typically, I'll watch a film just first time, like what you're saying, just to watch it, right? But then I go second time, and that's when I watch it, and I remember ideas I had the first time. I'll do some research before my second viewing, etc. Um, but what I caught the first time was that there's, there's an appeal to humanity in this film that I haven't really seen in a while. So I liked that. I will, I will give it that. And it's not just one instance either. So the first time we get... I guess, or rather. Um, so what we see is when the protagonists come to Selgio Island, 
they're viewed as devils, right? So there's mm-hmm. one comment that says that the Japanese are viewed favorably, but it's very clear that they weren't because this was an island that was under Japanese imperial rule at one point. Um, so they're viewed as devils, you know, and even Obata makes a joke that's like this whole monster thing has all been set up before he actually sees the monsters. It must have been set up by anti-Japanese natives, right? So there's this conflict here. I mean, and clearly the islanders aren't happy with their island being taken over because, well, this would be the second time it would happen. You know, potentially more than that. We don't know that. Um, so we, we see that element of there's, there's a very clear people who have felt dehumanized and oppressed. And there's, there's an attempt to bridge that gap, but that's a very real dynamic there. Um, but then there at the end, when Obata is taken over by Yogg, you know, we have the, the conversation between him and uh, uh, I believe it's uh, Ayako. No, sorry, it was, um, sorry, uh, the conversation between him and uh, Saki where uh, she appeals to his humanity and she's like, you know, aren't you ashamed of yourself? You know, even though you're a wretched spy, you're still a human being, a human being. And it's that that causes Obata to kind of take a step back and be like, wait, what am I doing here? Right. You know, it's not even the echolocation that's disrupting him. It's you are a human being. And this is probably this whole event the, the whole movie itself, but this event here is probably the best this guy's been treated in his life, right? So he's a corporate spy. It's very clear he's a sleazebag. So if you are a sleazebag, you probably surround yourself with people who don't treat you well because the people who would treat you well, you're going to drive off. So he's not being surrounded by people who are probably compassionate and going to give, you know, love and grace and empathy So this moment, she's yelling at him. She's like verbally shaking him. But that's probably the most genuine interaction he's had in his entire life or in a very long time, right? So that's what's causing him to wrestle with this reality of like, what am I allowing to happen? And that's why he just so easily gives up his own life because now he's like, I have something to live for. Or I guess, you know, he does have something to live for. And that's why he gives up his life, um, mm-hmm. which was interesting. I, I wasn't expecting that watching this movie. Um, so I don't know how you feel about that, Chris. And the whole line of, you know, man is more than a structure of cells. Every man has a soul. And mm-hmm. I will say the uh, giant monster messages, they always have ask a theologian because one of the hosts is a pastor or maybe mm-hmm. an ex-pastor, excuse me. Um, so they got into the whole discussion about souls there but i'd love to hear your thoughts about the humanity element there and what you thought about that line as well yeah yeah it is it is an interesting especially in a movie like this right it's an interesting really philosophical point to make so late in the movie um but yeah it is it is interesting um how it's the appeal to it's appeal to humanity here that is it I don't know if it's unique, but something about it felt unique. It felt uh, refreshing because we refreshing, just haven't sure. really hadn't had that in a while. Especially like um, for how many anti-capitalist messages we've had so far. Mm. I really like that you're like he's a you're a corporate spy, but you're also a person. So like that claiming humanity inside of the capitalist systems that have been critiqued for so long. Yeah. 
I found that pretty refreshing. But, I didn't even um, think about that. That's good. Yeah, I, I just actually kind of thought of it right now when when you kind of were saying all that. But um, it's kind of a nice it's a nice idea that like we are stuck in systems that suck. We are stuck in circumstances way beyond our control. Mm-hmm. But it's that common shared humanity that we have that is really what's going to bind us to do the right thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, I do like um, and we won't go as far as ask the theologian, I'm guessing, did. But like we can think of that fake C.S. Lewis quote, you're not a body. I was just looking soul. that up. Um, <laughs> which like if you've read any Lewis, you should be able to smell you should be able to smell that bowl. From a from a mile away, but yeah, um, we it, it is. Interesting. I feel like that's Pinterest tagline. Oh, it absolutely. Oh my gosh, it's the new <laughs> Jeremiah twenty nine eleven for uh, Pinterest crap. But um, yeah, especially like we've talked before about like what does it mean to be human? What does it mean mm-hmm. to have value? And um, it's sometimes it's not. Sometimes we have to be reminded that being human has intrinsic value. But sometimes here, being human means we have an ethical um, obligation to each other. Yeah, we have um, what do we owe to each other? Yeah. Um. So I kind of like that. Sometimes it's sometimes that reminder is a way to inscribe value, and sometimes it's a way to help you recall values. So. Yeah. What I love is that we keep going back to that Frankenstein conquers the world episode. Mm-hmm. Like I've noticed that. And that's, that's actually what I was thinking. Like that's probably the last time where I feel like this element of humanity was so explicit was probably that movie. Agreed. Yeah. I'm just continually like going back and being like, I I find myself liking that movie more and more, just more. I think about it. So we've got a mileage out of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm going to keep bringing it dry. I don't care. (laughs) So overall, it was a monster movie. There were giant monsters. Some might call them kaiju. Henry so, the host would not. But overall, do you regret watching it? No, not yet. No, me neither. Yeah. I don't know if there will be a movie I do regret watching. Because I feel like even if there's movies we don't like, we've got quite a bit of guests lined up for the future to make it at least worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And speaking of guests, it's going to be our one year anniversary here soon, Chris. Oh, happy anniversary, David. Yeah. So where are you taking me out to? What's the first anniversary? It's not the silver or gold one yet, is it? I don't care. I just care about the food. Okay. Um, <laughs> we can go to, oh, shoot. I forgot the name of the place with the waiter who hates Die Hard. Dang it. Oh, <laughs> failed community reference oh my gosh I'm being excommunicated from Monster Island yeah um, but in all seriousness uh, I know we did take a corns. little bit of what we'll have creamed corns <laughs> um, but in all seriousness apart from uh, alien choking um yeah, we, I mean, we did take a couple months off, you know, because I didn't have anything going on in my life at all that would have prevented me from giving my full attention to the show and everything else. But 
if I did have something that happened that was quite traumatic and I will be dealing with for the rest of my life, I would want to say thank you to the online community that helped us get through that because it was very taxing and trying, but we are here and alive and mm-hmm. I cannot thank you all enough for getting not us to this point. Like I, we've talked about it, Chris, like I would have, if the show would have been over, the show would have been over. Like you and I still would have been friends, but like, I was just like, I'm done. You know, I don't, I don't, it, we're not making money off of this. We're not popular because of this. You know, it's, it's a way for us to dedicate a night every two weeks to talk. And we talk throughout the week too, but like it's the relationships we've built and even just learning things about ourselves and being able to encourage others. Like that's obviously been what I've enjoyed. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just, very thankful that we've made it to a year. Very thankful for all of you for the support and love and prayers. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to ask you to send in a recording, 15 to 20 seconds. Uh, It can be recorded on your phone. You could make it a a radio production, you know, kind of like a old, old timey, narration like war of the worlds kind of thing i don't care um 15 20 seconds you know your your favorite moment on the show maybe the thing that you never would have considered until listening to this this weird podcast excuse of a podcast um or maybe your favorite chris pun his favorite shipping stuff like that right whatever is the most memorable thing of this show we would love to hear that and we want to put that on our next episode um, that's just our way of, you know, just having fun, incorporating y'all into this experience. Um, cause I mean, I'll be honest, like when I started this with you, Chris, like I've been having fun, but I, again, I'm surprised we've made it this far. I'm very thankful that you've stuck it out cause you had no idea what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. And it's been, uh, it's been, again, I, I, I don't know what I would have done if all this would have happened with Harlow and I didn't have this kind of community because my church was not there for us at Mm. the time. So this kind of became our, uh, our surrogate church, so to speak in community. So yeah, just thought it would be fun to, to have that. Um, so if that is something you're interested in, we, uh, we're going to be recording on September 7th. Um, we're going to be recording our episode for, uh, Godzilla vs. Hedera, which we'll be releasing like a day or two before our actual anniversary. Um, so just if you could have that to us by September 6th, um, just email us with your recording at thekaijuapostle at gmail.com. Or if you don't want to record it, but you still want to share your thoughts, you can direct message us on Twitter. You can email us there as well. And I would be happy to read it on the air. So I think... We're going to wrap this sucker up. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to the Kaiju Apostle podcast. If you like what you heard, if you had a comment you'd like to share, or actually, I don't know if I'm going to leave that comment in, so I'm not going to make a reference. If you disagreed with us, uh, make sure to let us know over at our Twitter page. Our handle is Kaiju Apostle Pod, or you can send us an email at contact at the com. I know I referenced my Gmail earlier. But that's because if you send an attachment, I have to make sure that I can actually get it. That email, it does have an attachment limit. 
Uh, you can also follow Chris over on Twitter at, at Chris Worms. That's W-E-R-M-S. But do you know what time it is? <laughs> what Sentai is? Chris watching. Oh, I was vibing. Yeah. Um, still on Car Ranger. Okay. So I think I've got less than 20 episodes left. What was that about you getting a figure that hadn't been announced yet? On Twitter? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I collect the Power Rangers Lightning Collection, and the, the Dino Thunder White Ranger, like, they haven't announced it. Like, Hasbro hasn't said a word about it, but I, like, bought it on store shelves. Huh. And um, it was the same with another Black Ranger figure a few weeks ago. I found it, and they announced it, like, four days later. So Weird. Yeah, it, like when I talk about like not caring what companies do and don't market, like that's kind of part of it. Like not going to waste my energy worrying, but it's like strange as I'll get out that I want to give you my money, but like tell me what to save and I can give you more. Yeah. But whatever. I just realized we could have talked about the Gamera box set and we did it. But anyway, <laughs> until next time. <laughs> May Mothra watch over you, Godzilla empower you, and High Priest Moist Minya bring you joy. I'll definitely edit that one out.